Hello and welcome to episode number 257 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. We are a podcast about romance fiction and the women who read and write it. And I am Sarah Wendell. I'm from Smart Bitches Trashy Books. With me on my desk is all of my cat. And I cannot tell you how many mammals are involved in the uh, recording of this intro. I'll have to share a picture because there is so much cat on my desk right now. Today is one of your favorites from the feedback that I've received. Types of episodes. Bitches assemble. Elise, Carrie, Redheaded Girl, and I got together to talk about successful recommendations we have made to new and curious readers who are interested in trying a romance. From curating a broad selection of books as an introduction to specifically pimping books that we know have a multi-level appeal, we talk about our favorite recommendations, books that seem to entice many different readers, and which books we love just because they're completely full of crazy sauce. We also discuss how many readers are introduced to romance by a person who gives them literally a brown paper bag full of books. It is always a brown paper bag. But then again, bag full of books is a really great word combination. And because we're us, we talk about weird sex scenes, wonderful and funny sex scenes, managing chronic pain, reading BDSM, and interesting female inventors in history. Plus, we discuss at length <laughs> the expectation of tentacles and what new books we're going to end up recommending frequently. Now, Elise is a little fuzzy in this recording, and I've done my best to clean that up, but I think she might have been in a wind machine, so I'm sure her hair looks terrific now. This episode of the podcast is being brought to you by Two Scott to Handle by Grace Burroughs. This New York Times bestselling series, with its, quote, heartfelt emotions, humor, and realistic, honest characters, is a fan favorite, raves RT Book Reviews. In the second book of the Wyndham Bride series, Burroughs delights Regency romance readers once again with an irresistible, rough-around-the-edges Scott who takes on saving an orphanage to win over the fiery, intelligent woman who's captured his heart. As a captain in the army, Colin McHugh led men, fixed what was broken, and fought hard. Now that he's a titled gentleman, he's still fighting, this time to keep his bachelorhood safe from all of the marriage-minded debutantes. Then he meets the intriguing Miss Anwen Wyndham, whose demure nature masks a bonfire waiting to roar to life. When she asks for his help to raise money for the local orphanage, he's happy to oblige. Anwen is amazed at how quickly Lord Colin takes in hand a pack of rambunctious orphan boys, amazed at how he actually listens to her ideas, amazed at the thrill she gets from the rumble of his voice and the heat of his touch. But not everyone enjoys the success of an upstart, and Colin has enemies who will stop at nothing to ruin him and anybody he holds dear. As Tessa Dare puts it, Grace Burroughs is a romance treasure. Don't miss Too Scott to Handle, on sale now wherever books are sold. Now, I have compliments. These are so fun. So get ready. Here we go. Charles B. There are birds currently lined up on a rooftop watching you. No one is sure why, but the rumor is it's because you are a minor deity to all birds. To Eileen. Yesterday, one of your friends from elementary school thought about the best day that they had with you and hoped that you were having an equally good day now. And to Debbie S., you are the human personification of kindness, cupcakes, excellent chocolate, and sparklers, especially the kind that don't burn your fingers. Now, if you would like a compliment or you're wondering what this is, please have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. We are so close to our Patreon goal. I am, I am flabbergasted. Because of the Patreon supporters, I've started transcribing early episodes way, way back in 2009. Once we cross the goal, I will start in on transcribing the remaining 70. And we are so close. That's so cool. And also thanks to Patreon supporters, I will be bringing microphones and recording equipment to RWA. Actually, as this episode is airing, I will be at RWA with my recording equipment. 
that I was able to bring because of Patreon supporters. Thank you for supporting the show and thank you for making pledges that help make the show better and better. If you'd like to have a look and join in, you can go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash smartbitches. Speaking of RWA, which as this episode airs, that is where I am. And this episode will drop on Friday, July 28th, which means that tomorrow, tomorrow, July 29th, that is tomorrow. If you're listening on Friday, July 28th, tomorrow, Saturday, Romance Writers of America will be hosting the annual Readers for Life Literacy Autograph, and you should totally come. If you're in the Orlando area and, you know, you like humidity, even if you don't like humidity, you should come. The signing is at the Walt Disney World Dolphin Resort, Pacific Hall, Saturday, July 29th from 3 to 5 p.m. Some of your favorite authors will be there. I know Sylvia Day will be there. Jill Chavez, Beverly Jenkins, Alyssa Cole, Tessa Dare, Courtney Milan, Julie James, Cecilia Tan, and also in the W's, me. Yay! I'll be signing. I'm near the cashier lines. So come say hello while you're waiting in line to buy 14 Brazilian books. Mention the podcast and I will have a special sticker for you if you would like to have one or you can just introduce yourself because it's really cool to meet you. You can get all of the details at rwa.org slash literacy and you can find me in the W's facing the cashier line. Usually we've got plenty of air conditioning. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Atwater. I will have information at the end of the podcast as to who this is and how you can get this music for your very, very own. And of course, because this is a podcast episode wherein we're talking about making recommendations, we talk about a lot of books, and as always, please don't try to look them up while you're driving or walking the dog or doing whatever it is that you're doing, dyeing wool or washing or cleaning the house. Do not worry, I will have links to all of the books that we mention, and there are a considerable number of them, in the podcast entry for this episode at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. You can also find most recent episodes and links to books in the iBookstore at our iTunes page, itunes.com slash dbsa. Now, I received an email from somebody who said they had been looking for a way to contact me about the show and they couldn't figure it out. And I realized I give the contact information in the outro, but not the intro. So I'm going to tell you now, in case you didn't know, if you would like to email me and you have ideas for the podcast or you want to give me feedback or you want to ask for a book recommendation or you want to ask me for advice, I get a lot of email asking for advice. This is awesome. You should totally do it. And there's two ways, whichever one is easier for you to remember. You can email me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can email me at Sarah, that's S-A-R-A-H, at smartbitchestrashybooks.com. Either way, those email messages come to me, and it's really cool to hear from you. So if you would like to make a suggestion or have an idea or you want to ask me a question, please email me. Or just email me and say, I want to ask all of you. We'd like to get together anyway. Speaking of getting together, it's time for us to do all the talking. Now, on with the podcast. I had so many requests for a group bitches podcast. Apparently, these are the most popular episodes. You guys, all of the uh, all of the group episodes we've done, the only episodes that are more popular were the ones with Chuck Tingle, Shelley Lawrenston. <laughs> so you're like the most popular guests. You were you were serious that I can be drunk, right? Of course, I was serious that you can be drunk. You would never joke about such a thing. What kind of because is that. I walked into Shea Dewey uh, just a little bit ago, set my out of office for tomorrow, and poured myself an adult beverage. Are we having crack and rum? We are having crack and rum and Coke Zero. And it's Shea Dewey because he pretty much runs the joint and lets Rich and I live here. Well, it's nice that you pay the mortgage for him. Right. And provide petting and food. Obviously. 
So I wanted to talk to you guys about the books that you recommend to romance readers or new romance readers, people who haven't tried romance before. Because I know, Redheaded Girl, you said that you had just recently recommended a bunch of books to someone. I create, I curated a bag. You curated a bag? Yes, I went through my donate box and my donate pile and the other books sort of scattered around my house. <clears throat> this friend of mine was like, so I'm trying to get into romance. And I went, I can help you with that. I was going to say, that's like the, the magic words. Yeah. Let me help you. Would you like a bag of books? And she was like, yes, those are the most beautiful words in the English language. How big of a bag would you like? Is another question <laughs> I have asked. Yes. Would and... you like to have to drive home with these books or would you like a walking load? Yes. Well, I mean, it's Boston. No, no one, no one drives a car. So I needed to, I mean, I needed to be able to bring this bag on the subway and she needed to be able to bring this bag home on the subway. So it was like a, a reusable grocery bag full of books. That's a beautiful. And thing. I walked in holding it and she looked at it and went, oh, when you say you curate a pile of books you do not mess around. I said, no, I do not fuck around. And she went, oh, thank fucking God, we can swear. <laughs> this is like a, a new friendship that we're still kind of like, how do adults make friends? I don't know. I don't. It's very hard. It's weird. Um, when I was initially said, do you want a bag of books? We didn't quite have the, so what do you like to read? Like, that's not romance. So maybe I can narrow it down. So I just went with a broad survey because a lot of my, my donate pile is stuff I got at RT or stuff that gets sent to me or stuff that is left over from meetups. Right. That is meant to be donated or the, I keep saying that I'm going to drop off stuff in the various little free libraries around town, but that requires effort on my part. So I have these intentions. I have driven from Little Free Library to Little Free Library. There's about six in my neighborhood. But some of them are yes. so clearly not welcoming to romance. Like you open it up yeah, and it's I just like, don't care. It's like wall-to-wall Franzen. And I'm like, I can't, I can't subject my beautiful books to this environment. I have to take them somewhere else. <laughs> I mean, I don't, it's not so much the libraries that I feel bad for the books. Like I don't actually believe that they're sentient little bundles of paper. But I would still feel bad you know, having them... That they got friends and all over them. Right? I mean, that seems disrespectful. So do you remember some of Don't the titles that you that you put in the bag? Yes. I did have a copy of the first book in the Crows series, which I have not read. And I'm kind of at the point where I'm not going to because y'all won't shut up about it. And I'm very perverse and annoying that way. Um, and I was like, Sarah and Elise love this book, and so do a lot of other people, so you try it. And it's, it's um, funny I, you say that, because Shelley Lawrenson can be a very specific taste. For a lot of readers, she's like cilantro. Right. Well, you know, this, I, this was deliberately curated as a broad survey. I don't expect that you're going to like all of these. Of course. But you will definitely, I think, from this pile get an idea of what you do like. Right. And once we have narrowed it down, then we can go from there. Right. I know 
that she is a big Franny Fisher fan. Well, she's an excellent so, human being. Oh, yeah, exactly. She's an excellent human being. She has, you know, fine taste in, in many things. Um, so I had a couple of 1920s, 1930s era stuff. I believe I had the Secrets of Nanreath Hall, which is a World War One, World War Two split focus mm-hmm. book. Um, I included the Spy Master's Lady because, of course, I included the Spy Master's Lady. You cannot go forward without Joe Bourne. You just cannot do it. And that's a good one because um, it, that that shows off dialogue. So many things. Yes, dialogue so skills. So many things. Dialogue skills, plotting skills, like rip your heart out skills. And I also included asking for it. Oh. And when we were going through the pile, I was like, this is a qualified recommendation. If this works for you, it's really going to work for you. <laughs> but if you read the back of this and go, I am not into this, then it's not going to work for you. I don't so, know that many people who looked at the book description for asking for it and were like, eh. Yeah. That was a pretty It was nice either, yes. oh, yeah. It was either, oh, or, oh. Yes, exactly. And she looked, she read the back of it and went, oh. Well, there you go. So, well, so there you go. Well done. Yeah, thank you. And I think there was an Eloisa in there and a Claypus and maybe a McQuiston. So, yeah, I I feel pretty solid. Like, I was just going for the broad survey and going, okay, try this. You're going to be on a plane for a while, so go forth and have fun. Now, you actually helped me with making recommendations because I don't know if you know this, but I get a lot of email and a lot of that. Oh, my God. And a lot of that email is, hey, um, I just discovered your site and I was hoping you could recommend something for me to try. You know, because I think when you roll up to the site and there's 12 plus years of reviews and all of us talking about all of these things, it's kind of like, I don't know what to touch first. Like, what do I do? So I get a lot of email like, can you help me? And I'm, I have a, a standard set of questions um, that I usually ask. But one of the things that I recommend very, very often, especially if the email indicates that they're also going to share those books with a mom or an aunt, is I recommend the shit out of Deanne Gist. Oh, yeah. The World's Fair trilogy, Tiffany Girl, all of those books. I mean, it's, it, and I have to explain, like, they're part of the Christian imprint of HarperCollins, but there's not a whole lot of direct intervention with God, and Jesus does not show up and have dialogue in these books. It's very subtle. And they're wonderful historicals. And I figured out those were sort of broad appeal books because of the way in which you'd reviewed them. So thank you. Oh, well. Thank Deanne. Yeah, no kidding. For writing such great books. You know, this is this reminds me of um, when I was a little baby Elise, the first romance novel I read was a Kathleen Woodowist that I found in our basement that had belonged to my mom at some point, but she didn't really read romance, so when I told her I liked it, she's like, oh, well, go talk to your aunt, who was an avid, avid romance reader and just had stacks of books everywhere. So, did I tell you guys the Birchtree Small story? No. No. Okay. So, I'm probably like 14 at the time. And we would go to my aunt and uncle's house for holidays. And my aunt would send me home with like 
two um, paper shopping bags filled with romance novels. Just whatever she had read and was done with went in the bag. So we're driving home from Chicago back to where we live. It's like either Thanksgiving or Easter. And I take the top book off the pile in the bag to read on the car ride home. It is a Bertree Small book. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. Okay. Specifically, Hellion. Oh, God. Okay. So let me set let me set the scene for you guys. My parents are in the front two seats. I'm sitting in the back seat with the family dog and my little sister, and I start reading this book, <laughs> and I'm a pretty naive 14-year-old. Like, I understood the mechanics of sex pretty thoroughly, but things like, uh, I don't know, bondage, yeah. dildos, yep. magic sex wizards, they, those were in that book. Uh, at one point, the hero, and I'm not making this up, well, he, he, I don't think he was the hero, I think he was just some guy she was sleeping with. He might have even been the evil sex wizard. Um, inserts grapes into her vagina and then sucks them back out and eats them. I am reading this and, like, looking up constantly with huge wide eyes, like, my family is going to somehow read my mind and know what I'm reading and I'll be completely horrified, but at the same time, I can't stop reading because it's the most scandalous thing I've ever read in my young life. It was a very, very interesting car trip. Yeah. Also... Like, don't put grapes in your vagina. Don't do that. Don't, don't do put, that. Don't put grapes in your vagina. Just, just PSA. Because, like, the grapes aren't consenting, right? Just leave the grapes alone. I'm still stuck on the evil sex wizard. He So the, the premise of the story, it's like a medieval romance. With an evil sex wizard. And she meets her husband, and they fall in love, and they have a lot of sex. But then he's kidnapped by a sorceress or something who lives with her brother, and, and they're both like they're both like evil sex witches, wizards, or whatever. Right. So in order to get her husband back, who's now been like completely bespelled and doesn't know who she is, she kind of like goes undercover and has sex with the evil sex wizard, so she can somehow get her husband to remember who he is and get him out of there. All right. Well, I need to read this immediately. Obviously, <laughs> it was. Uh, it God, was. I love Bertrand so much. You were the one who. You're the one who calls her fucking through history, right? Uh, somebody else. I mean, full. To be completely fair, somebody else came up with that term. But you are using that I, term to describe her. But I'm using that term. Yeah, because it's accurate. because that's. I don't think this one had a lot to do with history. Are you trying to tell me the magical sex wizards aren't real? It was, like, vaguely medieval. Vaguely. Okay. So is Game of Thrones. And, well, yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, it's that level of medieval realism, right. I think. And I just remember, you know, normally after a three to four hour car ride, the first thing I would do is run into the house and pee. <laughs> and literally, literally the first thing I did was run into the house, pull down the Webster's Dictionary, and look up dildo, <laughs> because I didn't know what that word meant. <laughs> Oh, poor little baby Elise. Yeah, poor baby Elise. Yeah. Well, I know your mom's a nurse. Like, was she like, oh, no, I'll tell you what this means. I wasn't going to ask her in front of my stepdad. Like, there was no way in hell that question was going to come out in front of my stepdad. That seems like a good decision on your part. Solid. Also, my mom is a nurse, and so from, she was an ER nurse and a psych ward nurse. And so from her perspective, when I would 
kind of asked her about things like that, it wouldn't be like, oh, let me tell you about the beautiful act of love. It would be like, and that this one time I had to remove this thing from this guy's ass. Because <laughs> if you're going to put something in your ass, you make sure it has a flange dent. That's abdominal surgery, okay? Do you know how many blood vessels you have down there? So it's not like, it, it's a pretty, pretty graphic uh, understanding of human sexuality. So anything that you brought up eventually would make it its way to, and yeah, I pulled one of those out of a guy's butt once. Uh, according to her, an average night in the ER involved one removal of something from someone's rectum. Who accidentally fell down on it. Yeah. Always. While it was lubricated. Well, of course. That th these, are, these are slippery accidents that happen. Now, one question I have. Do you suspect that paper bags were deliberately designed to hold a shitload of paperback books? Because how many times have you heard someone say, and I got a brown grocery bag full of books and they all fit in there perfectly? I used to get, is it Macy's that had like the little, that has the little brown bag? That's Bloomingdale's. Big brown bag. Bloomingdale's. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I used to get so excited because those were the bags my aunt gave me. And if I pulled up and there was a big brown bag, I knew I hit the jackpot. <laughs> It wasn't shoes or clothes. I, I am such a nerd that I know how the paper bag was invented. And it wasn't it wasn't to I, hold paperbacks? Well, okay. The modern one maybe. So and I'm gonna really embarrass myself because I'm too like migrainey foggy to figure out how to like open other tabs in Google. I think her name was Molly King, but quick, somebody Google. Maybe it was Molly Knight. Shoot. Okay, American woman, anyway. She um, was an inventor, and her very first invention was actually a device that would make a, um industrial factory machine stop spinning if something was caught in it. Which, if you know your industrial history, you can imagine that that saved, like, a lot of lives because people were constantly and particularly girls and women their hair would get caught their dresses would get caught and they'd be mutilated or killed by these machines Harry. and then she went yeah margaret knight thank you i was close i was you close. Were very close so, i wouldn't have been in the yes. county so you did well i'm such a nerd so then she um went on to invent the paper a paper bag actually it was a paper bag folding machine and that's why paper bags, whether they're little lunch bags or grocery bags, have the shape that you see today, even though now, of course, they've changed the folding machine. It had the original design. It's like super cool and steampunky and awesome. But um, it's a really beautiful machine. That's why they have that specific shape, because of the invention she came up with to automatically fold them. You know what? I love that we sat down to do a podcast about book recommendations, and we're like 17 minutes in, and we've already discussed Elise reading about vagina grapes and how paper bags were invented. Yeah, also, she was the first American woman to get a patent in her own name. And when she went to court, the judge, one of the arguments against her was that she could not have invented the paper bag folding machine because she was a woman, and a woman would not be able to think of something as clever as a paper bag folding machine because of our vagina problems. They, you know, those pesky genitalia just keep us from being able to think clearly, so there's no way that um, that would happen. But the judge said that was a stupid argument. So, um, oh, for a long time in America, it was illegal for a woman to own a patent in her own name. So she was the first. 
And it was for the paper bag folding machine. Which now the original yeah, machine is like now that. in the Smithsonian. Yes. You can go visit it. And many other I, I would love to visit it someday. Well, Sarah, like, you can go that. visit it like tomorrow. I could, but it's like 100 degrees here, and there's going to be thunderstorms, so the paper bag can wait until I can breathe easier. It's been around for a long time. It, it'll still be it's, there. It'll, it'll be, be there. Carrie, do you have any books that you have recommended to people who've been curious about romance or romance-adjacent <laughs> genres? <laughs> so, uh, well, yes. Um, and I really try to personalize it. I will say that when men ask me to recommend something... Usually, oh, this is just so exciting. I am hosting a slumber party as we speak. And the tween girls know that they're not allowed to interrupt me during the podcast, so they're sliding things under the door. Again? Again? We did this last yeah. time. They were Last time they were cooking. And, and when they're not, the cat and the dog are very concerned that I'm in the room with the door shut. So these little paws keep coming under. Are you allowed um, to pee so, alone in your house? Because no one is allowed to pee alone in my house. Oh, no, no, no. There's no peeing. <laughs> there is no solitary peeing in my world. There's no solitary peeing. Um, so anyway, uh, where was I? Oh, so one thing that's kind of funny is that I, it's, it's sad but funny, is that I have reached the age at which many of my peers are getting divorced. So I have suddenly been recommending, and in fact collecting at used stores and giving away, um, copies of Fast Women by Jennifer Cruzy, like mad. Um, because they just, that is just therapy for them. Like, they, they really, really, really need that book. That's a good um, The main character in Fast Woman is a divorcee, and people who have read that book will know what I mean when I say that two of the women to whom I have given that book went on to um, at ha what we call having a Riley um, moment. Having a Riley moment? A yes, it's a reference to a stage that is described in Fast Women. It's the transitional, casual sex that divorcees have before they move on to a real relationship just to prove to themselves that they still got it. Your friends Thanks. who are getting divorced also might like Crazy People, the Crazy For You stories by Jennifer Cruzy. They're short pieces of oh. fiction that surround the novel Crazy For You. But in the stories, um, there's a... Three, three women and one of them is uh, left and, is and her husband leaves her. And that's one of the best stories in the whole collection. So your, your friends might also like that one, too. Oh, cool. I also um, I get a lot of recommend, um, questions from men who want to try romance. And most that's of the cool. men. It's way cool. Most of the men who ask me that are interested in science fiction and fantasy. So to them, I usually recommend Lewis McMaster Patrol, um, Captain Four Patrol's Alliance, Komar, and A Civil Campaign, not in that order, um, because it mixes romance with some good hard sci-fi world-building. It's kind of a world in which they can feel comfortable as a reader, Um where walking into, like, a Regency romance for a lot of dudes would, like, sort of throw them off. Um, and then um, the other one I recommend a lot to men is Riveted, which is a steampunk by um, uh, Mel Jean Brooke. Um, 
I am not drunk, and I did not take any Excedrin yet, but I have that little migraine fog, so I'm like, oh, this room is so glittery and shiny right now. But yeah, Riveted is a really good steampunk, and one thing I like about it is that the world building of the adventure is as solid as the romance. So if they're not accustomed to reading a book that's all around romance, you know, I feel like they can kind of ease into it. Right. Um, and then in the summer, I do find myself, like, recommending Windflower right and left, because I think Windflower is, like, the best summer book ever written what makes for you, summer. What makes you think of summer with the Windflower? I mean, I agree with you, but I never thought because of the book. Because beach, book. pirates, beaches, ocean. Don't we all go to the ocean? Oh, well, you know what? A lot of you guys live, like, here in Boston. You can go to the ocean all the time. But for a lot of us, like, summer means that's when you go see the ocean. Huh. So you read the Windflower because pirates. Pirates, obviously. That's Ocean, tropical islands. Right. And and uh, the Windflower is smart, so do not misconstrue my next term. It has a certain fluffy element. I would say not fluffy so much as just fun. Mm-hmm. But the Windflower exists to give the reader a really good time. It's like a mental vacation, but not a dumb vacation. It's smart. But it's dedicated to just making the reader really happy, which I also think of as a summer thing. Um, and then you guys also know that I walk around with copies of Jane Eyre, like literally, like I collect them at thrift stores and will hand them out to people. Like, you know, do you have a moment to hear about our queen and savior, Jane Eyre? Um so that Jane Eyre is one that I hand out constantly. But that's not so much romance-specific. Like, I just tend to kind of throw that one at everybody. Do you guys have Do you guys have loaner copies of books that you keep one at home and then have one to loan out? Oh, I have lots of loaner copies. <laughs> I have a lot of Terry Pratchett loaner copies that aren't loaner copies. They're gift copies. Because whenever anyone around me is going through a crisis, I give them Terry Pratchett books. Because they're funny. And they make you laugh. But those aren't romances. Although there is some romance in Terry Pratchett. But, like, like I kind of hoard those for, like, when people have, like, the big crises. I uh, I never give out a book with the expectation of getting it yeah, back. Yeah, me either. Yeah, if it's one that I want back, then uh, it doesn't leave the house. Yep. Elise, what about you? Yeah. What what books have you recommended to people? Have you recommended The Hellion? Do you give people the book and then, like, a, a bag of grapes? No, uh, I don't. Weirdly, probably one of the authors that I've recommended the most is Tiffany Rice, um, her original Sinner series. And I say weirdly because I feel like people come to me looking for more erotica recommendations than they do for romance recommendations. I don't know if they just assume that I know all the kinky authors off the top of my head. I'm just going to figure that's probably it. Um, they can tell by but looking I've had at a lot you've of- read about grapes. So you have seen some shit. I have read about... I was introduced to Vagina Grapes at the young age of 14, so I've seen some shit since then. <laughs> okay. That's true. I did not read about uh, apple, vagina apples until I think I was 20. Wait, wait, wait. There's apples, too? But there's what? Apples? Um, oh, it's in Anne Rice's erotic oh. Sleeping Beauty trilogy. Apple. There's apples and, and honey. In the vagina, served on a platter at a party. Okay. Yeah. 
Oh. Do you mean that there's like a platter of apples and honey at a party and some of the apples go into the oh, vagina? No, 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 no. The because, beauty is on is the platter like, with the apples and honey. The apples are in her vagina. I, are, are I, I, the, but the vagina is attached. It's attached to a person, it's though, right? It's attached to a person, it's but like, I mean, really, the intention is just, just the vagina, maybe the boobs. Right, right, right. Okay. Are, were they sliced or are they whole? They're sliced. Okay, I was going to say, because that, um, yeah. You know what? I don't even know why I'm bothering to ponder this so much. I, I really don't know either. I don't think Anne Rice did. <laughs> well, I'm a gangster blogger. She has no time for me. <laughs> so you were saying, Elise, now that you've read about grapes at the tender age of 12 and you've seen some shit, you recommend Tiffany Rice. That's that's a really interesting recommendation. I've had a lot of people come to me, I think, after Fifty Shades hit the zeitgeist that basically said, I... I liked this book, but the writing was really shitty. And I was like, yes, I know. Come here, my child. And allow me to introduce you to better erotic authors. And one of the things that's interesting about the original Sinner series is that there's not actually not that much sex in it. There's just a lot of kink in mm-hmm. it. Um, so it's actually not super sexually explicit in a weird way. It also features a heroine who is completely owning her sexuality, the fact that these are things that she enjoys, the fact that she wants to have uh, rough, you know, sex. Sometimes she's a switch, so sometimes Nora is the dominant and sometimes she's the submissive. So there's none of that waffling of being ashamed of this part of her life or conflating wanting kinky sex with being somehow emotionally or psychologically damaged. But there's also the angst of that kind of forbidden relationship because in the very beginning of the original Sinner series, Nora has broken up with her longtime partner and dominant, and they have a very angsty um, relationship where they were, they're very much in love, but they can't seem to make it work together. So it appeals to that, that element of kind of the Christian Grey, Anastasia Steele, you know, really having this very dramatic, maybe melodramatic relationship but without all of the bullshit, if that makes sense. But I'm Fifty Shades of Fucked Up, at least. Yeah. Stay away from the grapes. Yeah, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, it's about a complex adult relationship and also just enthusiasm for, like this sort of joyous enthusiasm for having hot, kinky sex and being completely unapologetic about what turns you on and what makes you happy. One of the things that I I struggle with is that Tiffany Rice is such a very talented and evocative writer. She can describe things in ways that are just breathtaking. Her writing is so skillful. The things that she's right. She writes about are not the things that I read. And so it's like, I can recommend her as an author that I haven't read because her kink is not my kink. It's a weird place to be. And it's weird because you know, I think for me, when I read about um, BDSM, it's strange because I personally have kind of a strange or dysfunctional relationship with pain. I don't, I, I intellectually understand that there is an intersection between pain and pleasure. I've never experienced it, and I think physiologically I probably can't um, because my body processes pain 
so dysfunctionally and so incorrectly. And so there's also this part of me that's reading about this and being fascinated by the idea of actually engaging in something that would be painful to you. Um, On purpose. And finding, <laughs> kind of going into that subspace or, or finding a... Um, an erotic release in that because it's so foreign from my experience. Now I'm wondering if anyone has done a study or a, an examination of people who are into the BDSM scene who also have problems with chronic pain or fibromyalgia. And if there is an overlap. I, I don't know. Like I can just speak to my, my own personal experience with fibro when I very often when I should be in pain, I don't feel that pain. So I've actually injured myself and not known it. So I think as a person who suffers from fiber, I'd be like the worst submissive ever. <laughs> because it would be like, oh, where you, oh, is that a flog? Like, what, what was going on back there? I totally zoned out. What's happening? Right? So a lot of times when you, you should be feeling pain, you don't feel any pain at all. And then conversely, when there's no reason for you to feel pain, you feel pain, you feel pain. everywhere. Right. I almost have the opposite problem with pain, where, like, I keep waiting for this high pain tolerance stoic thing to happen, and it does not happen. Like, people walk up and, like, poke me, and I'm like, ah, I can't wait. Like, I'm just, like, super, it's not even super sensitive, like, super irritable. Like, if, if somebody were to walk up and swat me on the butt, I would, like, end them. But I also know that there are people who say that if you're having a lot of chronic pain and it's kind of sometimes the same pain signals are going through your body. So something like really light pinching or really light slapping sometimes can redirect that. So I can picture how for some people, maybe that would sort of distract their nerve impulses and give them some relief because it would make everything sort of go in a different direction, mm -hmm. which breaks that cycle. I don't know. That's not a medical opinion. No, I, that's, that's actually very accurate. I mean, I have a TENS unit, um, which is, at, at mine, there are different varieties of TENS units. So, um, mine is the kind you can buy over the counter. I actually got it from Amazon. So, it it's basically like two little sticky pads that you put on an area where you're experiencing pain. And it sends an electrical impulse to that area and you can up the intensity or the type of impulse you're getting whether it's like kind of a kneading sensation or a tapping sensation and what it does it's not it's not painful it feels weird but not painful is I it like just yeah it disrupts the I do uh, it disrupts the pain signals right so it confuses them it's like it's like arriving with right. your, to your nervous system with yeah. a bag of apples and grapes and saying okay get ready exactly yeah. I, i'm never gonna eat fruit again you guys <laughs> You're going to get scurvy because of this podcast, huh? And yeah. I just I just yesterday finished the new Tiffany Rice book, The Red, which is an erotic fantasy. It's very much like a fairy tale. Mm -hmm. It was so outstandingly good. So it is this woman who runs a art gallery called The Red. She inherited it from her mother. It's like half a million dollars in debt. She swore to her mom that she would save it. So, of course, mysterious, handsome dude arrives at the art gallery, and he's like, Hey, heard you guys are in some financial trouble. That really sucks. I'm a big art lover. I will pay you in art worth a million dollars if you have sex with me one night a month for 12 months. And she's like, sure, makes total sense, right? And every one of their 
their sexual encounters, um, he sends her a photo or marks a page in a book of a piece of artwork, and that is what inspires their role play. Whoa. So, like, the first scene they do together, she it's, it's inspired by Olympia by Manet, mm-hmm. who is a painting of a prostitute, um, presumably a prostitute. But she's staring directly at the viewer, and it's like a very confrontational, yes, I am lounging on this bed naked, waiting for my lover, deal with it, kind of expression. And that's kind of where they take their, their first scene. But... It is definitely Tiffany Rice, which means it is not appropriate for all readers, and not everyone will be into it. There's an awful lot of kink that happens in the book. How would you, or to whom would you recommend that book? When I was reviewing it, I just threw in everything that I could think of that happened. So if you um, are interested in in role play, in BDSM, um, and there's there's group sex, there's anal sex. Um, I mean, if if you can have sex a certain way, it's in this book. So I think it's not, but it's never. Um, again, it's it's a woman who's very empowered by her sexuality, who has no misgivings about what's going on. It's two consenting adults who are entering this relationship very enthusiastically and um we have a i think a very good and healthy respect for each other and their boundaries do you have books that you recommend to new readers pretty consistently i think it depends on what they're looking for um like to me i really love tessa dare and eloisa james but i think a lot of regency romance is really coded for people who've read regency romance and it's hard for people who haven't read historicals to really dive into that world because you don't get a ton of world building or context in the regencies that are coming out now. It's just assumed that you know what's going on. I often find that I most often ask for historical recommendations. And I typically do recommend Tessa Dare and Beverly Jenkins, uh, Teresa Romaine and Kate Noble as well, because they they have that sort of blend of historical detail and interesting characters with that sort of I want to say comfort and I and I don't mean that like in a way that says there's no emotion in the book because there's a lot of emotion in the book but there's a certain historical once upon a time um, comforting element about reading their writing even though Beverly Jenkins is writing about some really difficult things I trust her so much that her her books are engaging, but also very reassuring. You know what I mean? For mystery readers who want to get into romance, I recommend a lot of Nora Roberts' romantic suspense. Do you have some that you recommend in particular? Because I um I have to very I have to be very particular. Like some of them, like Blue Smoke, still scares the shit out of me when I think about it. I ask what mysteries they've read to kind of judge how much romantic or what kind of romantic suspense to recommend. Because if you're a longtime mystery thriller reader, Nora Roberts isn't going to freak you out. I mean, you know, if you just finished Red Dragon, you're fine. (laughs) Carrie, what were you going to say? I do not generally like um, stuff about BDSM because I just have for many reasons, a huge um, block about it. But I do try to read more to just try to sort of educate myself about it. 
Um, and Rebecca Weatherspoon wrote a book called Sated is part of a trilogy. And that has become one of my very, very favorite books. I just love it. And it's very light on actual pain. It's pretty, you know, low grade in terms of what the couple does. But there's some of the tropes that come up a lot in, in kind of the post Fifty Shades of Grey era are happily missing from Sated. So no, neither of the people are um, recovering from abuse. I know there are actually people who do recover from abuse and find DSM to be kind of therapeutic, but um, a lot of times it's written like, well, once they're fixed, they won't like it anymore, which is really insulting. Um, and there, there's no suggestion of that in Sated. It's just like a happy thing that people will do. Um, and the, the um, characters are diverse. Um, and one of the really cool things is that they have this really cute sense of humor. And so much BDSM stuff is like super serious. Super, super serious and very grim. And, and, and I actually have a story about going with my choir to a leather bar, which I found hilarious because everybody there, in fact, was super serious. And, <laughs> and then Sated, you know, they're like giggling and stuff. And when it's time to like, you know, stop giggling and get down to business, they do. But overall, it's not this like, you know, super self-important activity. It's a big part of their life and it's something that they really, really enjoy. But they have a sort of a sense of lightness. I love when there are characters that have lighthearted or silly sex. And that's pretty difficult to write because usually often sex scenes in a romance are amping up the tension and can't resolve too much of the tension. Otherwise it completely um, deflates all of the build that's been already established. It's like the moonlighting curse only in a book. Yeah. I often um, will um, skim sex scenes or skip them. And one way to keep me in it is to do something that makes me laugh. Like, and I can't remember if it's Chain Reaction or Chain of Command, but they're both by Zoe Archer and their um, science fiction romances. Sex scenes. Oh my God. She, I never skip her sex scenes because they're important to the character development. But in addition to that, in one of them, you know, one of these women is this really tough, you know, military person and they're trying to have sex in like a a swamp or something like it's not a congenial environment. So they don't want to be like taking off their clothes and lying down and she's trying to take her pants off and they get tangled up with her boots. And it's hilarious. Like she's hopping around and it's, it's great because you know, really that would happen. You think, you know, like you wouldn't just magically take off your clothes like a Chippendale stripper and get going. You'd end up hopping around. (laughs) <laughs> trying to take off your I pants. struggle to take off my pants on a regular day at the end of my wake, waking time because I'm tired. Forget if I'm yeah. you know, aroused in some way. You know who else writes really has written really funny sex scenes? Victoria Dahl. Oh, some yeah. of her contemporaries have hilarious sex scenes. And either they're in a weird place, like inside a cop car or... Um, there was one where the where at the end of it the guy is like I am a sex ninja. <laughs> I, I, exactly, I laugh for like a good three minutes after that. Writing funny, happy sex is a real gift. 
Are there, I know, Elise, you mentioned uh, Nora Roberts and Carrie, you mentioned The Windflower. Are there books that you guys have recommended that have the, have always worked? Like these, this is, this is definitely going to work for you. I don't think there is such a book. I haven't found it. That's totally a trick question because I have not found one that is, works for every reader. And thank God, because I think that book would be real boring. Yep. And, <laughs> and it's funny, if I think about the different reader interests, like a big Venn diagram, there are some books that will hit the most overlap. So if you like contemporary romance with smart characters and good dialogue and great world building and people who have interesting jobs, I can think of like four books right away that are going to work for you. But there, there's there's no one book in a subgenre that works unilaterally for every reader. And I always feel bad for people on Twitter that I see. Like a couple of years ago, Lord of Scoundrels went on sale for like the first time ever. It was like $1.99. And I think it sold so many copies that it hit the New York Times like a week later because everyone on Twitter was like, you must buy this now. And there was this very quiet group of people on, on Twitter saying, I, 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 didn't, I didn't really like it. I it didn't work for me. (laughs) And I was like, I'm really sorry. Cause you know, like a good 80% of the world seems to have loved that book at this moment. So it can be very alienating to be like, no, no, that didn't work. Are there any other books that you guys talk a lot about to people or just consistently say, Oh no, that's just one of the best. It's just great. Well, the Orca King. That name by Jennifer Cruzy is like a major, major book for me. Like a personally major book for me. And I, what I find is I tend to oversell it. I, I go so on and on about how fantastic it is that by the time people read it, they're like, oh, okay. I am um, just, I'm just in awe one? of the fact that Elise says the Orca King. And then in the next breath, Carrie says, bet me. And these two books are now... I didn't even hear it. The Orca King. Oh my god, the Orca King is beautiful. <laughs> I mean... I mean, well, I mean, the review of the Orca King was beautiful. I do find myself frequently explaining to people that I've read a Chuck Tingle book and that it was actually quite good. Oh, Adam, Adam just, read I one. Mean, Which Chuck Tingle did you read? You read the one about setting up a business in somebody's butt, right? I, well, I they're mean, all about one, They're all like that. No, it was very specifically. Mine, mine was pounded in the butt by my holiday something something politically correct something something holiday Starbucks cup. Oh, the politically yeah. and, correct Starbucks cup or, or religiously. Starbucks the, cup. The plain red. Okay, so the one that Adam read, yeah, the one yeah. that Adam read is living inside my own butt for eight years, starting a business and turning a profit through common sense reinvestment and strategic targeted marketing. Now, Adam was an economics major, and so he was, like, ready to read this book. And he came out of the entire experience so confused. I actually listened to the Orca King on audio. You listened to the Orca King on audio? It was an audio book. So to put this in perspective, this is the book about the Orca Shifter. I don't lose any perspective. (laughs) This is the book about the Orca Shifter with the time travel penis. Yeah. It is the most fucking crazy sauce book I've ever read and I just remember I'm listening to that audiobook at work while running reports and there would be extended periods of time where I'd just be kind of staring wide-eyed into the middle distance <laughs> and people would be like people would be like are you okay are you like are you having a seizure what's going on and I would have to be like 
Let me tell you about what is happening in my ears right now. I was going to say, so you audible, like a lot you were... of... audible, this is your next ad. This yeah. is your next ad, yeah. Uh, and actually, right? actually, it has a really good narrator, which makes the fact that it's so fucked up oh all the more jarring. Because you, she's got kind of like an Irish lilting accent, and you're getting into it. And then you're like, did they just travel through time because of his penis? What the fuck is happening right now? <laughs> is she sexually attracted to a whale? Well, yes, because he's New York. Orcas aren't whales. Aren't oh dolphins? Sorry, sorry. They're the wolves of the same redheaded girl. Wait, just saying. Orcas are not whales, despite being called killer whales. They're actually dolphins. Right. 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 Yeah. Yes. I I find myself talking about someone to cuddle a lot, and I regret that now I can't remember who wrote someone to cuddle. Um, and also that book Elise read about the tentacle people on the submarine, which as far as I'm concerned, that's the title. Like I, I, I The World War One U-boat tentacle. Yes. Monster. What was that, Elise? Yeah. All I Because rem- I start ranting about the biology and I'm like, I don't see why we can't have this is my new rant. And I think it's hilarious that this is now a thing that I discuss publicly all the time. Why we can't have, like, more biologically interesting stuff happening here. Like, if you must, if you absolutely must have a tentacle fetish, then wouldn't you want to make use of the fact that every every sucker has it can be manipulated by the octopus separately no, because at one time? No, because... If I were writing tentacle porn, I'd put that in. I'm just saying. You and I have discussed this. Octopuses can taste from their tentacles, and the tentacles always go in the ass. Always. I know! The, the first time I met Courtney Milan, like, one minute I'm fangirling out, I can't believe I'm in the same room with her, and five minutes later I'm going, you know what, bears hibernate. I'm just saying, you could have a really cute epilogue, right? Where the mom is yelling at the kids, Dad is not a trampoline, and he's just a bear in the middle of their, like, living room that they navigate around all winter. I mean, these are the things you should work these things in. Yes, you should work them in. <sighs> I, I didn't expect that I would find myself feeling so passionately about this topic, but I, I really do. It bothers me. It's... Okay, well, Carrie, Someone to Cuddle what? was by Luna Loop. Yes. Yes, it was. So, there's yes, that. Yeah, I think uh, the the Submariner tentacle book was really upsetting to me because basically the monster on the U-boat that had enslaved its crew to have tentacle butt sex with him was described as, like, a Lovecraftian elder god. And I'm like, what kind of shitty fucking elder god do you have to be that you got a U-boat? You got a shitty U-boat. Like, you don't get your own planet. You don't get a moon. You don't get some fucked up dimension where people go crazy from looking into it. No. Here's your U-boat, Steve. You were a disappointment to all the other elder gods. I feel like I've been so corrupted by all the tentacle erotica I've been exposed to now. The other night, Rich and I were watching Life, which is the alien movie with Jake Gyllenhaal and Ryan Reynolds, who aren't the same person, as it turns out. They're actually two entirely different people. Not only that, but Ryan Gosling and Bradley Cooper, also different people from those other two. Fuck! The fuck hell, man? So they're on... Basically, the the premise is this bunch of uh, astronauts are on the International Space Station... They find some life on Mars, they bring it back to the space station to study it, and of course it becomes like this malignant tentacle monster that eats people. 
And I expected every second there to be like some tentacle butt sex happening, and it never happened. And I'm like, this isn't how this works. When you meet terrifying alien creatures with tentacles, it ultimately culminates in butt sex. I just, it's disappointing. I feel like it's cheating the reader. Like, I don't really want to read tentacle butt sex, but if I'm going to pick up a book that is clearly promising me tentacle butt sex, and that is what I'm into, and no shame, I accept it. If you're into, you know, consensual tentacle butt sex, then knock yourself out. They should deliver. Those, those like, erotica books are, like, super pricey for being, like, two pages long. I've only had, like, a quarter of a rum and coke, you guys, and I feel like Sarah's just sitting at her desk with her hands and, like, her head in her hands. Like, we were talking about book recommendations. Yeah, right. <laughs> Sarah has no control over this conversation because she's still jet-lagged. Uh, it's true. I am. And also, I was, I was actually thinking, you know, what is the most fucked up book that I've read that I can tell people about. I mean, and I haven't gone the way of tentacle cuttlefish where shifter living in your butt, starting a business books. The, the one review that still gets an incredible amount of traffic is decadent. And the whole plot of that is just completely off the wall, but that was not one that I wrote. That was one that was written by candy. And the, 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 the driving plot point of that book is that, the heroine has to learn how to have threesomes because she wants to sleep with this rock star who only has threesomes. Wait, is this I'm f- fucking her ass, saving her life? Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah! <laughs> it's a glorious review. <laughs> well, Sarah, you can still, like, I've spent an embarrassing number of years kind of occasionally taking a look through tentacle porn, and yours is still, like, in the top five. So. Oh, I'm really pleased. Thank you. I did write tentacle porn. And yes, of course, there was anal. But there was actual tentacle action, not like a fake off. No, no, there's, right. there's actual tentacle porn. And I, I, no, I wrote that on my birthday. That was, that was a very strange birthday. Happy birthday to you. Right? And it had to be anal. You can't have tentacle sex without anal. You're right. It's like a, it's like a requirement. It is a requirement. Also, Carrie, I just found a lawn banner for your house that says "Wanna Cuddle" and it has a little cuttlefish on it. So, if you want to like decorate the yard with a cuttlefish and invite cuddle cuddling, you can do that. It's a what? <laughs> it's a little little flag it's, it's- for your lawn, and instead of like having like a, a sunflower or you know welcome or a rooster, it has a big cartoon cuttlefish. And it says, want to cuddle. Um, I think she needs it. I, I, I agree. I'm like, that's either the best or the most horrifying thing. I've ever it I feel like it 2017, Carrie. We are embracing you know, the power of You guys of know I do love my cephalopods, but generally I love them in a platonic way. You can platonically <laughs> cuddle. I could platonically cuddle. And cuttlefish are adorable. Can we just, you know, say... They Unless are they're shifting more. into creatures who want to bang, then they're not so adorable. They are sexy. Well, in someone to cuddle, they shift into very attractive um, gay men. Right, but they don't actually bang in cuttlefish form, which seems a way... I know, right? And I was kind of like, you know, both relieved and disappointed simultaneously. It was, it was an odd sensation. It's like... Like, you don't want to look, but you also kind of want to look. 
do what it says on the tin. If you promise, you know, A, you should deliver A. If you promise B, you should deliver B. And if you promise slot A into tab B with tentacles, that's what you're going to get. Then it's the weirdest idea build ever. Are there any other books that you guys would like to just recommend before we wrap up? Here's Sarah putting us back on the rails again. Right. Well, you know, jet lag. Um, It's the moderator's job. For historicals, I always recommend um, uh, What Happens in London by Julia Quinn because I think that book is hilarious. And um, I often also recommend Lord of Scoundrels because who doesn't recommend Lord of Scoundrels? I have listened to that book, and I have to say the audio for it is terrific. What about you, Redheaded Girl? Any books you want to recommend just generally? Um, I am working on the review for this. But for the Rec League that, that we did some weeks ago now, for me, mm-hmm. that was books about Edinburgh and York, somebody recommended A Queen from the North. Oh. And I don't have the author's name, but you'll find it. Um, And it's a alternate history in which the war of the roses didn't really end. Uh Oh, and it's now modern times. And the, the Prince of Wales needs a wife real fast for reasons. And he proposes to basically the last daughter of the house of York. And ridiculousness and shenanigans ensue. And it's really, really good. Awesome. I could not put it down. I was at the Tall Ships Regatta in Boston a couple of weeks ago. And I'm like, ships, or I could finish my book. Ships, or I could, the ships will be there. I need to, I need to read this for a bit. So that, that is my current recommendation. Awesome. Elise, are there any books that you want to mention? I've been giving out a lot of copies of Hate to Want You by Alicia Ray. That book is really fucking good. It's so good. Every person who I've given that book to has said to me, like, I finished this in one sitting. Thank you for making me exhausted the next day at work. Yep. That's definitely the kind of uh, emotional, sexy, larger story arc, lots of different reasons why things are the way they are book that you can recommend to a whole bunch of different readers well I think it's really hard to write a contemporary where there's like a convincing reason two people can't be together because of their families mm-hmm. uh, and she pulls it off like there's there's enough context there that it makes total sense mm-hmm. yes because at some point you want to be like okay you're all adults. Just play the fuck you card and move on with your life. And then in this situation, there's enough reasons why that's not possible. It's such a good book. God, that book is great. It's still my favorite part of RT was just sort of the inhuman noises that people <laughs> would make when they saw that there were copies of it out in the wild. Yeah. Like, <gasps> yeah, it's it's like it's, it's not good book noise because you haven't read it yet. It's deeply. It's, I need that. I want that. Gimme, gimme now. I'll roll you for it. (laughs) These floors are hard and I will take you down. Mm -hmm. 
And that is all for this week's episode. I want to thank all of the bitches for hanging out with me. And if you would like to tell us about a recommendation that you made to a curious romance reader or someone who'd never tried romance at all, I would love to hear about it. You can reach me at sarah at smartbitchestrashybooks.com or you can email me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com or you can email me a voice memo and I'll use that voice memo in the podcast if you're feeling super brave and rad, which you should totally do. And if you would like to subscribe or leave a review or tell a friend about the podcast, that helps as well because you know what we should do is convince more people to try romance, right? Like that's a great goal. And speaking of romance... This episode was brought to you by Two Scott to Handle by Grace Burroughs, this New York Times best-selling series with heartfelt emotions, humor, and realistic, honest characters is a fan favorite, raves RT book reviews, and in the second book of the Wyndham Bride series, Burroughs is delighting romance readers once again with an irresistible, rough-around-the-edges Scott who takes on saving an orphanage to win over the fiery, intelligent woman who has captured his heart. As a captain in the army, Colin McHugh led men, fixed what was broken, and fought hard. And now that he's a titled gentleman, he's still fighting, this time to keep his bachelorhood safe from all of the marriage-minded debutantes. Then he meets the intriguing Miss Anwen Wyndham, whose demure nature masks a bonfire waiting to roar to life. And when she asks for his help to raise money for the orphanage, he's very happy to oblige. Anwen is amazed at how quickly Lord Colin takes in hand a pack of rambunctious orphan boys, amazed at how he listens, he actually listens to her ideas, amazed at the thrill she gets from the rumble of his voice and the heat of his touch. But not everyone enjoys the success of an upstart, and Colin has enemies who will stop at nothing to ruin him and anybody he holds dear. As Tessa Dare put it, Grace Burroughs is a romance treasure. So don't miss Two Scott to Handle by Grace Burroughs, on sale now wherever books are sold. Now you can find all of the books that we mentioned in this episode and links to all the things that we discussed at smartpitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. And you can find our recent episodes and links to iBooks store, iBook store. Yeah, that's right. iBook store content specifically at iTunes.com slash DBSA. The music you're listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater. This is Queens. This is Caravan Palace. This is their two album set, Caravan Palace and Panic, available at iTunes and Amazon. You can find them on Facebook or on their website, caravanpalace.com. Seriously, I love this album set. I, even when I'm not editing the podcast content, I listen to this because it's so great. And one last thing. If you are in the Orlando area and it's not Saturday 29th of July, it's before Saturday the 29th of July, or it's Saturday the 29th and it's not 3 o'clock yet, you should come on down to the Walt Disney World, Dolphin Resort, Pacific Hall, 3 to 5 p.m. Romance Writers of America is hosting the Readers for Life Literacy Autographing. There's going to be literally hundreds of romance authors all in chairs at tables with their names on them. And then between them and the name, or maybe in front of the name, are books, right? Awesome books. You can get them signed and then you can buy them. And then all of the proceeds go to literacy organizations and they've raised over a million dollars. So this is a significant, significant fundraiser. And you can come meet people. It's really cool. You can meet Alyssa Cole and Tessa Dare and Julie James and Cecilia Tan and Beverly Jenkins and Jill Chalvis. And then out in the W's over by the cashier, it'll be me. Yay, I'm signing. I'm really, really excited. I don't know if you could tell. You can come find me. Mention the podcast. I have a sticker for you if you would like one. And I would really like to meet you. I will have books, I will have stickers, and mostly I just want you to introduce yourself and say hello because it's really, really cool to meet all of you. So come find me at RWA Literacy Signing. You can get all of the details at rwa.org forward slash literacy. And that's about all I've got. I have no more cats. 
interrupting me. I will post a picture of how Orville was helping me with this editing because it was a big sprawling amount of cat. But on behalf of everyone here, including all of the mammals who live in my house, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend. And if you are traveling home from RWA this weekend, thank you for bringing me with you and safe travels. I'll see you next week.